Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Triple Threat, party time, excellent! That's right, you're listening to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 79, Musically Challenged, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Party on, Dax. Party on, Mills. (laughs) Mills, quickly. Yeah. Off the top of your head, what's the best band name? Crucial Taunt, Wild Stallions, uh, Lone Rangers. Rangers. (laughs) Hit me. Uh, Crucial Taunt, is that what the... That's Tia Carrera's band, yep. From oh, okay. Um, gosh, I maybe just because I have the most uh, history with it, but I, I'm a Lone, uh, Lone Rangers fan. Or even just the name. I'm disconnecting it from the movie, but just as a name alone as well. I think Wild Stallions with the like kind of Wild you know, metal spelling. spelling is mm-hmm. probably the best one then. Mm. Okay. You? All right. I mean, Lone Rangers is a good gag that works in the in. The, I think that's why I like that. Works one so most. well in the movie, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you're just seeing it, I don't know. Wild Wild Stallions feels. Wild I mean, Stallions Wild feels, feels like it could have been a real band name along the lines of like Motley Crue or something. Yeah, definitely feels like a hair metal band name. Yeah, and it's like you know almost a pun or a play on words kind of because it's spelled different. But. Yeah. Crucial Taunt is actually like a stupid name. Yeah, I don't not a, really. I'm not a fan of that one. I didn't remember that one, even though I just watched the movie again. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I don't, not, I'm not, not really a, into not that. a great name. Yeah, but I was like, I say, well, as a group, we'll give it to Wild Stallions. Fair enough. That works okay. for me. Very good. So yeah, uh, this week we are talking uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989. We are talking Wayne's World from 1992. And we were talking Airheads from 1994. Do you think actual bands and musicians from the time were just like, why the hell is every band in these movies just treated like they are complete idiots? (laughs) Uh, Or people adjacent to bands? I would... It's clearly a theme. I no, you're you're absolutely right. I have no basis for this. I am there's awesome. not a musical bone in my body when it comes to like knowledge of music or like there I'm in no way am I like into like the music scene or anything like that. Go on. But um I would think cuz you know even like even bands like when they were really popular like back in the 80s or whatever like like big acts were like that was still the time of like the mainstream, like looking down on like hair metal bands and like thinking they were weird and counterculture. So like maybe they sympathized with the guys in the, the movie or the bands in the movies a little mm. bit, like being okay. screwed over by like uh, some producer or something kind of like mm-hmm. uh, in Wayne's world with uh, Tia Carrera's band or 
Airheads. Uh, like having that struggle of not being able to get your break, like airheads or, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. Sure. I don't know. That's just, that's my best guess. Yeah, I'm curious. That's, a, that's like a, that's more of a positive outlook than just being like, what I'm thinking is it's just like treating them all like they're idiots or something. Yeah, like did Aerosmith sit around and like watch Wayne's World for fun on their tour bus or something? I don't know, but maybe. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, Mills, what's your uh, history with this seal, your trifecta? Uh, Airheads, longtime fan, first time caller, saw it. I don't know, years and years ago. Have seen it a couple times over the years since. It had been a while. Um, Wayne's World, I feel like I'm right in that age range that it should be like one of my favorite things in the world. But uh, never saw it like when it came out. I saw it for the first time after high school. And Mm. it's just one of those things where I saw it and it didn't really connect with me. I just felt like I was like in the wrong headspace or the wrong era of my life or something and Uh just you know saw it once forgot about it have never seen the sequel and uh bill and ted i saw even more recently than uh wayne's world maybe like about a decade ago i got it from uh netflix i think on disc and similarly was like yeah that's cute but uh like not my thing like i don't Mm -hmm. know if part of it is like I'm not a music guy. Not that the movies necessarily focus a ton on the music. Like, if anything, Airheads probably focuses on the struggle of the band more than the other two. Yeah, and that's the one sure. that I like and have a fondness for. But that could just come from when I saw it originally or something. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, will my thoughts and opinions on the other two have changed? Mm. Or Airheads, for that matter. Uh, Tonight, we shall see. Yeah. What about you? Um, same on Earheads. Um, always liked it, seen it numerous times. I feel like it used to be, must have been like on TV or HBO or something a lot. Cause I feel like I've seen it like more than a couple of times. Like, I feel like it was a movie I would watch like semi-frequently for whatever reason. It immediately jumps in my head. I remember I used to like rewatch the chase a lot and I, <laughs> I would rewatch airheads a lot mm. for just two random ass movies out of nowhere from, I can just remember if they, I don't even know if we had them on tape or whatever the deal was, but uh, many of viewing of airheads. Um, the other two, I both have seen at least once uh, Wayne's world. I think, at going in, I was like, God, I was like, how much of this movie do I even remember? As I'm watching it, you know, it'll come up. But certainly things being like, oh, Jesus was from this movie or like this joke or the whatever. So because I know I've seen the sequel as well. I really don't remember anything there. I know Kim Basinger's in the in the sequel. But yeah, the, between the two of them, it wasn't until I rewatched the first Wayne's World that I remembered more of it. Mm-hmm. And that same Bill and Ted's, I'd seen both of them around when they came out but didn't like remember too too much i mean i I could say i probably only saw the first bill and ted like maybe once wow so you and i are actually i I just expected because like i said like everybody i feel like from my age range is a big like bill and ted and wayne's world fan Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at least has seen them a bunch of times but i've only i had only seen them one time each before this it sounds like you're not too far off from that, which surprises me a little. Yeah, I think I, I saw them more around when they came out, but um, yeah. I definitely have seen 
Wayne's world more than once, but not mm-hmm. a, a bunch of times and certainly not as much as um, Airheads. Well, I, I feel like part of the reason why I would have seen Airheads over the other two, like back in the 90s, is because going way back to like, uh, you know, uh, Happy Gilmore and the era of Billy Madison, mm-hmm. I was an Adam Sandler fan. Mm-hmm. Without even having like really seen him on SNL or anything, because I I didn't really watch SNL at that time. Yeah, same. And then like Wayne's World, um, similarly never like saw the skits on SNL. I only briefly dabbled in SNL. Like I got into it when I was in high school during like the Will Ferrell era a little bit, and I would like for maybe a year or two I would record the episodes and then like rewatch them, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, only for a very brief period, and I haven't watched an episode in like twenty years, <laughs> probably. Yeah, like I would. New I'm probably exactly the same. I don't think I've ever regularly watched Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I'm not sure how many I maybe have even seen. Maybe a handful actually live on Saturday Night, yeah. especially in like the internet age where it's like. I've seen endless numbers of skits and musical performances, but that's because I like looked up that specific thing. Sure, without having to sit through the whole episode. Yeah, I can't even imagine sitting through something uh, <laughs> an hour and a half every Saturday. It just is unheard of. Yeah, but then like Mike Myers, I got into later on after Wayne's World with Ace, with uh, yeah, Ace Ventura with Austin Powers, mm-hmm. um, which I became an enormous fan of. Yeah, uh, which is like at a the time. Uh, cultural phenomenon which i think wayne's world may have been to a point oh too, it definitely was yeah too young to be like sure of what how far reaching that was like yeah but at the right age for austin powers but pretty wild for him to have done it twice yeah and then bill and ted i don't know i just when i was younger i never really had an interest or i mean you were pretty young when that came out too right so yeah but even like through the 90s when like people were fans of it you know and it was you yeah, know, it was a movie that was like a minor cultural touchstone for people. Just yeah, yeah. It was one of those ones that eventually I just had to be like, okay, I should catch up with this. <laughs> right. I mean, by all means, I feel like we should jump right into that one because I got plenty to say. All right. Uh, well, actually, really quick before we do, I wanted mm. to ask you this. Um, I thought about it right before the show. It occurred to me. Uh, there are well, there's now three Bill and Ted movies, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, when we started doing this podcast, there were only two. And uh, with the review we're about to do, we will have now reviewed both. Is this the only instance of uh, two sequels? sequels that we've done from the same franchise? Because we have done like that episode with three Spider-Man movies, but they were like yeah, yeah, separate not Spider-Man franchises. Although now they're all kind of one franchise, thanks to Spider-Man No Way Home and the multiverse. But mm. we could have never known that back, back then. Yeah, that's... I feel like that's a bit of a stretch that we can avoid, <laughs> anyways. But, um, but how I don't I don't know if there have been any other that we've done like multiple from the same franchise. I mean, off the top of my head, where off the top of my head means like I can barely remember what we've done throughout the course of Triple Threat. That <laughs> uh-huh. no, I don't think so. Yeah, um, just uh, interesting that uh, now. Yeah, of all things, too. Yeah. I mean, we never watched Leprechaun 1 through 3, right? Not yet. Only four. Okay. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Did we watch uh, original Back to the Future? We watched mm, no, two. just the second one. Interesting. All right. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I guess this is it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, from 1989, we have Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Greetings, my excellent friends. Do you know when the Mongols ruled China? Wow. Perhaps we could ask them. Bill S. Preston Esquire. And Ted Theodore Logan. Gentlemen, I'm here to help you with your history report. What? How? Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Dudes, you guys are gonna go back in time. Yeah! You are going to have the most excellent adventure through history. Who are you guys? We're you, dude! No way. No way. Yes way, Ted! Look, we know how you feel. We didn't believe it either when we were you, and we us said what we us are saying right now. Okay, wait. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Whoa. Uh, some of the like details and behind the scenes of the franchise as a whole probably talked about back on the episode where we talked about uh, the second one. Mm-hmm. I don't fully recall, but I thought it was interesting to be reminded that this was directed by Stephen Herrick, the guy who made the first Critters. That is interesting. Uh, he also directed The Mighty Ducks, Mr. Holland's Opus, and 101 Dalmatians. Oh, a bit of a journeyman. Yeah, and something that I had forgotten until, again, doing research for this franchise all over again, and I still think is interesting, is um, uh, Richard Matheson is like a you know famous classic science fiction author. He wrote the book I Am Legend that like the movies and all mm-hmm. are based on, among other things. His son... Chris Matheson is one of the two creators of Bill and Ted. Interesting. So father writes like a beloved science fiction novel. Son writes like goofy, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a time travel movie. But yeah, so Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon wrote this. Have you seen the third one? I have not. And I have no right. interest in it, to be completely honest. Ditto. <laughs> uh, but Chris Matheson also wrote a Goofy movie, which is an all-time favorite of mine. Oh, man. Which was exciting to find out. And uh, Ed Solomon, the other writer, wrote the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, Men in Black, Charlie's Angels, and Now You See Me. Holy shit. (laughs) What, what What a range. These are the guys who gave us Bill and Ted. Okay. What's to say about Bill and Ted? Here's a question. Oh, You'd only seen it like once or twice before. Been a long sure. time. Yeah, all true. Do you like this movie? Like this this rewatch being so long after you've last seen it, presumably. Like, what did you think? Did just flat out? Are you a fan? No. <laughs> um, it's like for me, the shtick gets old very quick. Mm-hmm. With them, kind of back to my preamble about making people, look, you know, making all the leads look stupid. But their particular stick to me gets very old, very quick, and I like don't really find the movie like funny at all. It is a comedy, which to say there's plenty of comedies that I don't find funny because I got 
let's say, a weird sense of humor. I don't necessarily think it's bad, but it's just like, uh, yeah, I just did not find it like funny. I mean, I guess it gets like mildly entertaining, <laughs> I guess, in that. Put that on the poster. <laughs> mildly entertaining. <laughs> it's weird. It's just because it's like clearly like effort, a lot of effort even was put into this movie, especially with like the amount of like time jumping and locales and maybe costuming and uh, set decoration or whatever. But um, it's just it just seems like such a weird a weird thing to have been made, you know, like such a time capsule kind of movie of mm-hmm. the time. But um, at this point, like I leading into had no interest in a third one. And now I've been having seen the first two for our show. Doesn't doesn't strengthen that idea at all to yeah. watch a legacy sequel. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, it sounds like you and I are pretty much on the same page here. Like this is a harmless you know, a little bit of entertainment. I don't mm-hmm. hate it or anything, but uh, first time I saw it, didn't really jive with it, and second time, same thing. Like, I find some of the concepts kind of entertaining, but I I don't even think the execution is all that successful. It's just yeah. a lot of, like, kind of dumb, blatant, obvious jokes, like when they take all the people that they've brought in, into the future from history to the mall... And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh well, Beethoven obviously goes and plays up a storm at the music store, and right, uh, Genghis Khan is at the sporting goods store, like hitting things with a baseball bat, and mm-hmm. it's just all—I don't know—it's like, do people watch that sequence and have like riotous laughter, or you know, that's what I mean, like kind of like sign of the times, like we'll get into it more with other things too, but it's just like what what was funny at the time. But yeah, I just didn't, it's another movie. I was like, this is billed as a comedy, and I just did not laugh once at Bill and Ted. Yeah. I mean, I like I like them enough. Like, I, I find, of all things in the movie, I kind of enjoy their performance as those two guys. I think it was interesting that while making them complete morons, they also made them, like, nice guys and i mean they're like lovable idiots yeah exactly that for sure and i even do just find it like they they sound really dumb and all the things that they say are really dumb but there's also times where i don't know just like some of the terminology they use is like something you wouldn't expect some like stoner idiot to say (laughs) i don't know Mm -hmm. just not that they're even stoners i don't know if that's i don't think that's insinuated in this film but they're just it's like, funny. what's the male version of a valley girl? That's basically what they are, right? It's like a surfer dude, yeah, but I mean, there's no surfing. S- <laughs> surfer dude, they're not like particularly, you don't necessarily get a great sense of like where on like the musical spectrum they kind of are either. I mean, they almost... say that they don't know how to play. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, you're not entirely sure what their influences are. They're not, they're not like punk rock dudes and they're not necessarily metalheads or I mean they love Van guys. Halen they talk about that a lot <laughs> yeah so yeah it kind of just doesn't translate to much it's almost like like you said it's like whatever like a valley girl would be is just like a surfer bro stoner yeah. idiot without the drugs mm-hmm. I'll tell you my favorite part of this movie mm-hmm. uh, uh, my friend and yours Al Leong just getting, getting oh, yeah. work. Having just an actual role in a film. That guy actor. 
Ali Young as Genghis Khan. I was yeah. very excited. I knew it was him immediately, too. Yeah, I, I was reminded. I saw his name in the opening credits, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's Genghis yeah. Khan. He actually gets to do something in this. I didn't even see that, but when it was when they showed Kong, uh, Khan, I was like, yeah, there's our boy. <laughs> yeah. So. Seminal 80s, just sidekick bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a member of, like, every bad guy squad. Yep. Famously in Die Hard. Yep. Stealing the candy bar. Yep. Yeah. Um. I. It's like I. I like the. I like the concept. I think it's a funny premise. Uh. That you know these two idiots have to pass their history exam or like history essay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it will like ripple through time and ruin this idyllic future that's been created by them forming their band. Like it's dumb, but I like that premise. I. I honestly do. I like the idea of them like stumbling through time and picking up these different people and having them show up and, you know, do their speech for them or whatever. But as much as I like the idea of all of those things, I feel like the actual act of them being executed mm-hmm. on the screen I, is just like never really compelling to me. Yeah. I think it just feels like it's going through the motions maybe yeah. for like almost the entire Runtime, thankfully, it's only like 95 minutes, too, because I was like, even beforehand, I think I was just looking to see like how long the movies were. So I was yeah. just glad it was that long period. And then to in execution, it didn't just like go on and on. I mean, I think if you're into the movie, it has a good payoff with their whole like presentation at the end. Mm-hmm. Regardless of me like not being into it, but I think if somebody's into this movie, that probably was like a good payoff. Yeah. But um, it's weird. I just can't help myself. Like this is typical, typical over analytical me. But like there, thi- like there's a part <laughs> earlier on in the movie where the the uh, the essays are taking place, and the teacher looks down at his like little book, and it's got like the different students' names written down with times when their essays are supposed to take place next to them, and there's 15 minutes between each one. So when it gets to Bill and Ted, I know they're the last essay, but it feels like it takes 45 minutes because they have all these different segments where like Sigmund Freud does a, he like analyzes somebody up on stage and like the whole point of the, the essay was supposed to be if those people were around today, what would they think of modern day San Dimas? And it's like, that's not really what their essay is. And I know how stupid it sounds to be <laughs> critical of that, but it's like, I couldn't help thinking at the end, like it feels like it's going on and on and like the scene is going on and on. And I wish it was just like wrapping up faster Apparently they shot an ending where it was just like a quick essay in front of the class, but then they decided that wasn't like a big enough ending. So they changed it to be like this big thing on stage with like a light show in the auditorium (laughs) or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like, I mean, this is a high bar to reach for, but if you're talking about time travel comedies, Back to the Future is like the standard and that has like a good, like compelling story. Um, you, you can poke holes in any time travel, but it's got like a really solid time travel premise, and it's like rules that it sets up and pretty much follows. Especially in the first one, I mean, things get a little iffy in the sequels. But this one, like late in the movie, they toss in the idea about, um, oh, remember we gotta get your dad's keys and leave them here. So they'll be, they'll be here for us in the past. And then like, as soon as they say that, uh, it's bill is 
Alex Winter. Bill reaches down and picks up the keys, and I'm like, that's cool. They're having fun with, like, the ludicrous laws of time travel, right? And then they do it again Mm -hmm. in the police station, and he's like, hey, remember tomorrow after the assembly to come back in time and make a tape to distract your dad, and, like, that works, like, conceptually. But then when the dad catches them breaking everybody out of the prison cells, one of them looks at the other and is like, I think Bill looks at Ted and is like, Ted, remember in the future, garbage can. And then a trash can falls <laughs> out right. of nowhere and lands on his dad. Like leaving a tape recorder or like leaving some keys for you to find is one thing. But how did like they, they remember like, how did you what? rig? Yeah. Rig a rig time a release trash, trash can, can on fall, the roof. It, right. Like, it's one of those things that we've talked about many times, and I think everybody understands the concept of, like, if you are into what you're watching, then you can forgive a lot of things and flaws won't even occur to you. But if you're already, like, not super into it, then things like that stick out like a sore thumb and potentially, like, grind your gears. And I find this movie not enjoyable to a great deal, like, so that things like that bug me. <laughs> And mm-hmm. as stupid as it sounds, they, they kind of count against the movie for me a little bit. I know everybody well, listening to this is shaking their heads at me saying that, but yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> this isn't like the legalese issues of over the top. So, I mean, you, you definitely got more <laughs> in the weeds with that one. But yeah, I actually agree. Like those couple of bits, the first ones, it's like kind of builds up some goodwill and then they just torch that with, with the trash can from the ceiling it yeah. just doesn't make sense it's like it's like they couldn't like write it they couldn't write it good enough to like have those little like crumbs they left work because the dad still catches them so then they just throw in the trash can gag it's mm-hmm. just and i mean here's the thing know, just like um again it it's it's fucking Bill and Ted, so shouldn't be concerned about this stuff too much. But I was thinking to myself, like, it's fun and clever to like, oh, make sure you go back in time and leave the keys, and there the keys are. But if they have free reign to be like, hey, in the future, remember to come back in time and do something, another pair of them could come back from the future and, like, uh, distract the dad while the two current ones go and do their thing or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but- yeah. I feel like I'm getting a little too into the weeds with like suggesting ways that they could have utilized the time travel better in the movie. Just suffice I mean, to it, say that I I I don't I I don't love it. <laughs> I mean, we're we're here to get in the weeds to a point too, but you know, we and we've watched a lot of time travel movies, so it's like if you're going to go down that road, you kind of have to you got to give us a little, you know, for me <laughs> anyways, cuz there's been plenty of times where it's like the use or the use of, you know, Time travel can ruin a movie for me completely because I'll get in my head about it to like the tenth degree. Yeah, so I it's get just, that. I understand that in this case, like this is a comedy first, second, and third, and a sci-fi movie like maybe sixth. But I still can't. I still, still can't stop my brain from thinking yeah. these things. Nah, I'm, I'm with you because they, you know, they open that door by using it as a plot device. So yeah. But that said, like I. I wish that they would have used those elements a little more cleverly because I think that that adds some fun towards the end of the movie or had the potential to. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Just like I said, they they use it like pretty well a couple times and then they blow it. Yeah. And then, yeah, just ultimately it's 
I don't find it like, like I said, it's mildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it. Like, not the worst, certainly not the best. Yeah, I mean, just like everything else, comedy is subjective. Like, some things are going to work for some people, other things are not. And sounds like you and I are both just in the camp of like, yeah, this doesn't doesn't super work for me. Yeah, totally. But it worked for a lot of people. Budget on this was ten million. Box office was forty point five in nineteen eighty nine. It's a good amount of scratch. So they uh, fast tracked a sequel, which we have talked about previously. What uh, year did that one come out? The sequel, uh, I didn't write it down, but I think it's only like two, three years later, maybe. Mm. In the original script for this movie, it, it's funny when you have like high concept comedies like this, because I know the same thing can be said for like Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters to me feels just like a perfect premise executed perfectly. But if you go back and you read about like, you know, the original premise for the movie and everything, it was very different from when they had what they ended up with. It was supposed to be like the Ghostbusters end up in hell or something like that. But uh, this mm-hmm. movie, similarly, <laughs> uh, the original premise was that Bill and Ted borrow a time traveling van from their friend Rufus, who I think is supposed to be 28 years old, but still in high school because he keeps flunking. And they end up bringing Adolf Hitler forward in time to San oh, Dimas. <laughs> boy. That was all I could really find about the original premise. So I don't know if it was the same concept where they were going to bring a bunch of people to the future. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they were going to have a van that brought Adolf Hitler to the future. That is a different movie. Hitler was changed to Napoleon for obvious reasons. And the van was changed to a phone booth because the time-traveling car in Back to the Future was viewed as too close of a similarity. Even though I think it's more surprising that there are two properties in existence with time-traveling phone booths because of Doctor Who. Mm. Like, two time-traveling cars seems less odd than two time-traveling phone booths to me. I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The intention was for Eddie Van Halen to play Rufus, but he was too expensive. Oh, and I can't remember if, like, Rufus isn't in a ton. I don't think he's in the sequel a ton either. Yeah, he's in the sequel even less. Mm. I remember back when we did that episode reading that their original concept for the sequel was for Rufus to be the villain, but then, like, George Carlin didn't want to be in it too much or, like, his schedule was full or something, so he's, like, barely in the second one, to my recollection. Hmm. And from the what could have been department, uh, apparently among the actors that uh, tried out to play Bill and or Ted were Pauly Shore, River Phoenix, Sean Penn, and Brendan Fraser. Oh. Who we will be talking about in a little while, Brendan Fraser. I feel like, I don't know if you know, I don't know much history about Pauly Shore. I only know that his mom is like famous for like running the comedy store in. Yeah. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I almost like wonder if like that was like really his in for things because yeah, I think it was a uh, degree of if not nepotism, uh, a case of like oh well, everybody wants to be on. I think his mom's name is Mitzi. Mitzi's good side. So yeah, Paulie Shore just kind of found his way into Hollywood mm, for a couple of years there. Because gotcha. I don't, I don't get the impression that anybody in the industry ever really liked him all that much. But you know, he got work. right she had all the power yeah yeah it's one of those Mm. things where it's like it's a big part of a certain small section of society that like 
the comedy store is this influential comedy club in a certain place during a certain time. And, you know, because half the podcasts that exist on the internet are by and for comedians, uh, Mm -hmm. you hear a lot of stories about, you know, who played there and what shows happened and, Oh, can you believe this person did that at that place? And, Oh, I remember talking to Mitzi and all this, but right. So I don't know all the full details, but, uh, that information's out there, I guess, if you want to find it. Yeah. That's probably, pretty easy to imagine that she got him a lot of work we'll say that yeah yeah i would say so but uh yeah not in this movie mm-hmm. i feel like we broke some people's hearts with this review but uh is there anything else you have to say about bill and dad's excellent adventure not really sorry y'all if you're a fan i mean party on but <laughs> be excellent to each other <laughs> right <laughs> All right, uh, moving on from 1992, we have Wayne's World. Alice, is this cool? Yeah, come on in. Sorry to bother you, but we had to come and tell you how much we really enjoyed the show, didn't we, Garth? Oh, thanks. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. My name is Wayne, and this is Garth. Nice to meet you guys. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? Huh? Huh? Huh. Okay. Well, we gotta get going. No, no, no. Stick around. Hang out with us. Cool. Yeah, we'll stay and hang around with us. With Alice Cooper. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not Now, as we talked about, didn't really watch uh, SNL, especially during this time period, so never saw any of the classic uh, skits, but mm-hmm. I found it interesting. I did a little reading about the history of Wayne's World. This was only the second movie after Blues Brothers to be based on a SNL skit. Oh, okay. uh, This came out in 92, and Blues Brothers came out in 1980. <laughs> so... 12 years with no other... Jeez. And I think Blues Brothers was a success, if I'm not mistaken, so... I'm a little surprised that nothing else got made between then and Wayne's World. Yeah. Because, like, once Wayne's World came out and was relatively popular in the 90s, I feel like there was a string of SNL-based movies, like the Coneheads and... Yeah. Even shit like It's Pat got a fucking movie. <laughs> right, right. I mean, this was so big. Do you got numbers on, like... Budget and what it Budget, made? 20 million, box office, 183.1. Yeah, yeah, this thing was like a cultural phenomenon for sure. 180 is a huge amount of money, too, yeah. for 92. Mm-hmm. It was big. Damn. Yeah, seriously. And uh, a little more history about Wayne's World. A prototype of Wayne appeared on the city TV show City Limits in Toronto and later appeared in a segment on the CBC television series It's Only Rock and Roll on which it was called Wayne's Power Minute in 1987. 
And the first Wayne's World skit appeared on SNL February 18th, 1989. So Mike Myers was working on this character for a while before he even got it onto SNL. And then, uh, so from what I was reading, (laughs) it sounds like Mike Myers in real life can be A, a prima donna who's difficult to work with, and B, kind of a dick. Uh, just from all the little tidbits I was reading behind the scenes. Uh, originally, he didn't want Wayne's World to be like a two-man act. Like, he wanted it to just be him. Mm-hmm. But at the time, he was new on SNL, and he felt that if he could align himself with one of the guys who had a name and had been around a while, then he would have like a better chance of A, getting it on the air, and B, it being popular. So he mm-hmm. kind of roped Dana Carvian, who was you know, well-known and had been around SNL for a little while into being his sidekick kind of begrudgingly. And then even like up to like Wayne's World with Dana Carvey was established for like a couple years before this movie came out. And it was a popular skit, hence they made the movie out of it. But apparently even in the writing of the movie, Mike Myers kept trying to like remove scenes and lines of dialogue of Dana Carvey's from the script because he wanted it to be like all about him. Even after they were like an established comedy duo. Yeah. And basically what I read was that Dana Carvey, like he kept on complaining about it and was like, look, uh, you can remove all the dialogue you want for me, but you have to let me ad lib like when we're filming. And so apparently the majority of Garth's dialogue in the movie was ad-libbed because Mike Myers just kept removing stuff from the script for Garth because he wanted it to be more of a one-man show. See, I don't normally dig into, you know, I've said this before, like, I like to go on fresh. I don't really, like, do too much, like, uh, reading or checking in facts or trivia or anything, but... For these, because I'd seen them all already, I just I found myself on the IMDb kind of trivia section, and just from the Wayne's World IMDb trivia, you would walk away thinking Mike Myers is like a horrible bastard. <laughs> it is yeah. all like anecdotes, like like that one. And you'd like just to that think... he was like a pain in the ass. He was like didn't get along with the director. Like yeah, was complaining about Final Cut. Like. Kind of like every step of the way, it made him sound awful. Yeah. And you'd think maybe, like, you know, he was still pretty young at the time. Like, he just got on SNL a couple years earlier, and now he's, like, in his first big starring vehicle movie based on, like, a character he created. And But it did sound like there was, um, like, so the director is Penelope Spheris, who had mainly directed documentaries um, she did like some music documentaries called like the fall of Western civilization or something like that. I've never seen them, but I think based on like her music background, Lauren Michaels specifically asked her to direct this movie. And it was like kind of a big deal for her because it was like her first big studio picture. And then she had a terrible time and for years resented Mike Myers because of it. Like apparently there was a day where he was upset that they didn't have that they only had butter not margarine for his bagel so he like flipped over the craft services table and stormed off and like wouldn't come out of his uh trailer for hours and he would just like complain about every direction that she gave and yeah then they argued over the final cut of the movie which resulted in Mike Myers basically getting her ousted from directing the sequel so 
It's very odd. And he doesn't like have the face of a guy that I would think I could even take seriously in those kind of things. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you picturing never know, like but... Wayne, like I can't see him flipping over a craft table, you know, craft service table. But you never, like you said, you never know. Yeah, I mean, but then you know, by the same, by the same thought process, did you ever think that Jim Carrey would turn into a method actor and like treat everybody like shit on the set of uh, Man on the Moon? And I didn't know that was the thing, but yeah. Oh, you never uh, saw no. that documentary about uh, Jim Carrey in that movie? I had zero interest in watching that movie. I've never seen it. So mm. yeah, he uh, he basically played the character like he he got into character and would not get out of character and. It sounds like he just treated everybody on set like complete assholes, and his justification was, "Well, it's not me; it's the character I'm playing." That sounds awful. And yeah, it... <laughs> that sounds so unnecessary yeah. in life for for actors to be like that. Yeah, you never know, just... and like you know, sometimes the like really creative or really funny people, you know, that's like that's one facet of their personality. And then there's like a darkness inside or something like look at Robin Williams, like one of the funniest, seemingly nicest guys in the world. And then he was like super depressed and ended up taking his own life. Like this, uh-huh. this is taking a far path from uh, Mike Myers, not getting margarine hey, for hey, his bagel, we, but <laughs> we just, we just let these things fly here. Mills. I mean, <laughs> yeah. wherever the road takes us, but, but yeah, yeah. so Penelope Spheris, uh, not super keen on Mike Myers for a long time or the movie itself, but it was a huge hit, and she has said that it, like, you know, kind of made her career at that point. And she went on to do some other, like, big Hollywood movies. She did the Beverly Hillbillies movie, uh, the Little Rascals movie, Black Sheep with uh, Chris Farley and David Spade, which was the follow-up to Tommy Boy. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. got her some work. Yeah, so let me ask you, uh, just like with Bill and Ted, <laughs> uh, you know, hadn't seen this movie many times. It had been a long time. Do you like Wayne's World? Are you a fan? I could say I like it. Um, definitely not over the moon about it. I found myself like laughing at a couple things, not too much. At least like it wasn't completely unfunny as a movie that I thought Bill and Ted, you know, there was some like... I don't know, a little cringy stuff in this. There's certain things I remembered, like I was like the stairway to heaven thing, like gave me a chuckle. I had forgot that was in this. I even like forgot about whole Garth's whole like a uh, foxy lady dance thing, which I like remembered. Like I think thinking funny was when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, but uh, I guess I could say I like this, but I'm certainly not like thinking it's like a favorite movie or like really into it. Mm-hmm. I guess it just sits a little, but it's very, um, I, by the, by the time it got to the end, I think it, to me, it felt like a movie that like tries its like hardest to not be generic, but still kind of is. <laughs> you and I are meshing tonight because I honestly feel mm. this, this exactly the same. Everything you said, like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's fine. I, I do think I like it better than Bill and Ted just as a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I did. I don't think I laughed a single time while watching it, but uh, I like appreciated some of the humor a little more than Bill and Ted. It felt like more like a movie that is my speed, I guess, but still not like a, a huge fan. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine like uh, th- I would these two like especially like these are not timeless comedies. Like I can't imagine like a younger person trying to watch either of these and f- finding enjoyment because it's like. Uh, 
there's certainly like time capsule movies and like that might not appeal yeah to many that don't have like any nostalgia with it i mean i think it's possible for certain viewers that are young enough to watch it and just like think the sight gags and like the silly characters and all are funny but yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to see it. You know, like I know, like I'd want to like watch it play out just to see like. Yeah, well, when uh, Tony's kids get a little older, you can yeah. sit them down and experiment on them. With... Pretty much, yeah, he'll have them watching this stuff. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of fourth wall breaking in this one. Mm-hmm. That even even ramps up quite a bit. Were you expecting a Terminator Two reference? Uh, no, completely forgot about it. <laughs> right. And even so, like, I thought it was funny enough that uh, Robert Patrick was there, but then even him showing the picture of John Connor, like, I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was just going to be a sight gag that, oh, it's that guy. No, they went for it. Yeah. Which seems like a because it's, like, the only occurrence of that at all in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's, like, makes me think back to, like, like, that's something I would have seen in Naked Gun. Not <laughs> wasn't expecting <laughs> in Wade's world, you know? But yeah. I mean, this is just kind of such an off-the-wall goofball movie that I feel like just about anything goes with all the fourth wall breaking yeah. and everything. I mean, it's yeah. the same same kind of movie that, like, Austin Powers is and, like, those right. kind of silly movies, like, anything goes, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ramps up and then it's, you know, multiple different endings and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, I gotta say I wasn't a big fan of that. No, I think it just kind of took away. Again, it was like, well, like I said before, it's just like battling to be like not generic and still was. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't even really feel like it had an ending because it does like three different versions. And then on the last one, it's ju- it just like cuts to credits. But mm-hmm. it was like Wayne was in the middle of a fourth wall breaking experiment and we were never told that any one of those was the real one, <laughs> which right. again is another case of like who fucking cares because it's Wayne's world. It's like a completely goofy film, but. Still, for whatever reason, I was like, so what is the fucking ending? <laughs> right. Right. It's just like a drawn out gag that they kept around too long and then just like drove it into the ground. Yeah. Not the worst thing. Yeah. Certainly not the greatest, you know. After all the, well, all the build up. After the build up of him, I was kind of expecting the record producer that shows up at the end to be like somebody. Like, I thought yeah. it was going to be, like, a cameo, like, oh, look, it's fucking yeah. Dan Aykroyd or something. I thought the same thing, and it and it's only Tootie from Goodfellas. Yeah, who apparently that guy, what's his real name? Uh, no clue. Uh, Frank DeLeo, who was in the movie Goodfellas. Apparently he, in real life, was Michael Jackson's manager from 1984 to 1989. <laughs> wow. So like he's a real he's really in the music industry and I don't know uh, if that was supposed to be some kind of reference that like people would get because mm-hmm. this was like a couple years after he worked for Michael Jackson and like oh it's that guy I remember him from being in the tabloids in the news or yeah. something but like if that was the case it flew completely over my yeah. head <laughs> maybe cuz like you said they 100% set it up like it's going to be an A-list actor or, it, like, even Meatloaf is in the movie. He plays the bouncer right. at the bar earlier in the movie. Like, yeah. if Meatloaf had played that guy, like, it would have made more sense than guy from Goodfellas and Michael Jackson's real-life yeah. manager. <laughs> right. 
because we so when they showed him, I was really like Tootie. I was like, really? See, I, I didn't. Like, I didn't even remember him from Goodfellas. I was like, yeah. oh, it's some random guy. <laughs> I mean, I've just seen Goodfellas far too many times, just because I know every person from Goodfellas. But yeah, that was to me. I was like, I kind of was like, I got Alice Cooper in there. Like, yeah, to have it should have been like some like a list musician even or something yeah that's that but kind of what i would have expected so that was a little surprising to me mm-hmm. yeah i know totally i dig rob Lowe as like shitty bad guy <laughs> yeah yeah he plays like a good like dirtball yeah he's good in that kind of role um i think tia, tia Carrere is pretty good as the uh, female lead female rock star mm-hmm apparently that was all her real singing like is she a musician yeah. if so i didn't know that i don't know i was I couldn't tell if sometimes it was like giving her more of an accent as well. Mm-hmm. It seems like it tend to turn off and on a little bit, but yeah, it was her singing. Yeah, that was kind of cool, a little surprising. Yeah, yeah. Who who else do we got? Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's brother, as uh, the video game magnate Noah Vanderhoff, mm-hmm. who's just one of those character actors who's been in a thousand things, like tons of comedies yeah. from the eighties. We mentioned Chris Farley's in this. Chris Farley, he's, small he bit part too. as a security guard. Mm-hmm. Just fun to see him popping up and stuff. Oh, for sure. Back then, all the time. Yeah, totally. Oh, um, it was kind of random. I looked this up, but it was like uh, Garth's Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. I actually thought was familiar, and then when I looked it up, she was um like one of the leads in Spies Like Us. The Dan Aykroyd Chevy Chase movie. I I could not say for sure whether I've seen that or not. I feel like I have, but I also feel like I remember nothing from it if I did. I that was another one I watched like frequently as a kid for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to put that on a trifecta. But then come <laughs> to find out today in research, she is uh Dan Aykroyd's wife. Oh. So well, there you go. Yeah. So there's a connection there. <laughs> Ed O'Neill from Married with yeah. Children and other Actually, things. Actually, he was great in this. <laughs> yeah, he was fun. He just had him like, play like disgruntled like kind of psychopath. Yeah, he uh, seemed like, a, like a troubled Vietnam vet or something running a donut mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. I did think that that was a, a joke that I, again, I didn't like laugh out loud at it, but I thought it was funny when he starts talking to the camera and then Wayne cuts in and he's like, uh, only Garth and I get to talk to the camera. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny because it was Ed O'Neill just going off about like, Something really dark and serious yeah, to the viewer. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, so I did like that. I don't know. It's weird. Like, like I like sci-fi and, and whatnot. So it feels like uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure should be an easier win for me. But something about the the kind of mundane, typical nature of the premise of this movie, like, it, you know, it's these these small timers being screwed over by like the corporate guy mm-hmm. and then trying to like win back <laughs> right. their right their you know their validity or originality yeah. or whatever um it just feels like any you know oh the they're going to shut down the rec center unless we raise money with mm-hmm. a bake sale kind of thing like right. it's just it i don't it's like a more it's a like trope. easy a comfortable yeah yeah it's a comfortable trope yeah, so it's like they take a lot of like standard tropes and then they throw in a bunch of like fourth wall breaking and oddball bits and humor and stuff in it. And exactly. Yeah, so it's like I definitely, like I said, prefer this to Bill and Ted, but uh, yeah, still not like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. 
I got you. I'm right there with you, pal. Lorne Michaels and Paramount Pictures both wanted to use the song Welcome to the Jungle instead of Bohemian Rhapsody for the sing-along in the car. Because Lorne Michaels said that the song the, the Bohemian Rhapsody was too old and the studio said it would cost too much. But apparently Mike Myers threatened to quit the film over it and they gave in. Was this did this cause like a resurgence for them? Yep. The movie is credited with reviving the popularity of Queen in the US because Bohemian Rhapsody after the film peaked at number two on the US charts, which is mm. higher than it charted when it was originally released. Oh, and uh, Freddie Mercury died a few months before the film's release, but he had given his permission for the song to be used in the movie. And Mike Myers sent him like tapes with clips and stuff from the movie because he wanted oh. him to see it. Huh. I thought that was pretty interesting. That yeah, that is. Bohemian Rhapsody like... owes something to <laughs> fucking Wayne's World. Yeah. And then I read this anecdote. I've seen the movie. I don't remember a lot about it. I don't think it was like amazing or anything, but the, the movie uh, about Queen. Mm-hmm. Mike Myers is in that movie. He plays like a record executive and he like when they bring him Bohemian Rhapsody, he's like uh, he says something like, oh, this song is like too long for radio play and kids need something that they can like bang their heads to or something, which is a reference to mm-hmm. Wayne's World where they do that to this song in the car. Wow. That is a, that's a long con when it comes to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently Mike Myers big fan, so. Clearly. That's probably why he was in that movie in the first place. So, And uh, other interesting anecdote that I didn't know is um, Rob Lowe also credits Wayne's World with reviving his career following a scandal in which a uh, sex tape was released showing him having sex with a 16-year-old girl when he was 24. Oh, okay. And he settled out of court with the girl's family, but said that after that, the rolls dried up and his phone stopped ringing and uh, Wayne's World like put him back on the map and got his career going again. Had absolutely zero idea of any of that. Yeah. Same. Wow. Okay. <laughs> like, right. I'm just reading, like, Wikipedia or IMDb or something, and it's like, Rob Lowe credits this with reviving his career after the sex tape scandal. And I was like, oh, what is the <laughs> sex tape scandal? So I looked it up. and Oh. <laughs> yeah, there it is. It's like him okay. and two girls went back to his hotel room after a party, and he filmed them having sex. One of them was in her 20s, and the other one was 16. And then apparently he went to the bathroom and they stole like a bunch of stuff from the hotel room, including the tape. And then uh, they released it and uh, yeah, he ended up paying the the family of the one girl. I mean, geez, well, especially back then, it's like, what are you setting up like a record, uh, giant you know, camera like, yeah, recorder camcorder. in like a briefcase? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we're talking late 80s. Jeez. Yeah. Seriously. All right, Rob Lowe, get around. <laughs> Creeping. So I've never seen the sequel. Uh, how much of a recollection do you have of that? Again, really just I remember Kim Basinger's in it, but otherwise I got nothing. Yeah. It's one of those things where I should probably see it just to see it, but as someone who's not a huge fan of the first one, and I assume that most people like the first one more than the second one, it's just like not high on my list of priorities. I've got to catch them all, Mills. Like, if it wasn't for this podcast, I wouldn't have seen the second Bill and Ted yet either, I'm sure. That's fair. Well, let me just go ahead and figure out another sequel trifecta here. Shouldn't be hard to do. 
All right. Uh, anything else for Wayne's World? I feel like we've adequately covered this one. <laughs> I feel like we're being real Debbie Downers about I mean, some like classic movies. That we probably love. should be having. I'm sure people out there would say we should be having more fun, but it is what it is. Yeah, no fun to be had around here. Oh. <laughs> Until we get to 1994's Airheads. Oops! He's got a gun! He's got a gun! Hey, stop squirming, pussy! I'll fill your big dome full of lead. You'll be shitting bullets for a week, you no-dick loser! Come on, Rex. Watch, shut up! Ian, you want to talk to these uh, fellas? What do you suggest? Say something. They like you. Shut up, dick smoke. Chaz, come on. All right. Look, I know you would have been cool, but then this penis had to step in and get all heavy. Look, all I want to do is be heard, and then we're out of here. Believe me, I understand. Just cool it, huh? Buddy, why don't you cut your losses? You ran over your head. You don't know what you're doing. Shut your face! Just shut your stupid face! I know exactly what I'm doing. There's a whole problem with you guys. You think you because you got some big job that you know something wrong? You got your Hagar slacks, and you got your stylish little pony knob. And it ain't even real. Ow. Hey, 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 just... Cool it, huh? Hey, hey, guys. We're all rock and rollers here. You look like half a butt puppet. You know what it's like to be on the bill and to play for 15 minutes, and the only people there to see you are the other bands and their girlfriends? Don't talk to me about rock and roll. I'm out there in the clubs and on the streets, and I'm living it. I am rock and roll. It's guys like you and that Jimmy Wing down in Palatine that ruin everything for everyone. Jimmy, Jimmy, they're talking about young KBTX. Here. Then you realize that there's a million of these Jimmy Wing yuppie bone smugglers out there. These guys are running the industry, and they don't know a damn thing about rock and roll. Hello, police. Now, I'll tell you what, Mr. Program Director, man. You put our goddamn tape on the air right now because we spent a lot of money on this thing, and it's going to get some airplay, or my man's going to gank you right here and now. Shit, yeah. Well, let's not go ganking anyone. Um, if we play the tape, will you go? That's all we need, DGs. Play the thing, Milo. Do what he says. Play it! What are you waiting for? Sorry about all this. Enjoy. Can't wait. We can't play this tape. We're only set up for CDs and cassettes. Chaz, I said we should have brought a cassette. The cassette dub knocks out the low end and it makes my background vocal sound like someone's stepping on my nuts. God, Mr. Perfectionist. You quit necking on me, you femmes, all right? All we got was a quarter inch, okay? There's got to be a reel-to-reel around here somewhere. Go find it. It's a radio station. All right, quick. Ask me the question that you've asked me on the other two. Hey, Dex, do you like Airheads? I love Airheads. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this movie a lot, too. I mean, this because it's just like... It's just like a solid like story. Like it is like an interesting story with twists and turns, and I think like everyone plays their part really well. This is like one of my favorite Steve Buscemi movies too. <laughs> yeah, because what I know, what I know of bass players that I've met in life, he seems like he plays that role perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, the whole cast, and this movie has a hell of a cast, by the way. It really does. So, like right off the top, we have. Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, Adam Sandler as the three members of the band. Mm-hmm. And then we have Ernie Hudson as the police sergeant. We have Chris Farley as police officer who gets a fair amount of screen time in this compared to something like Wayne's World while he is still just a supporting character. Michael McKean from This Is Spinal Tap and all the Christopher Guest movies and also Better Call Saul as uh, like the guy who runs the radio station. 
Judd Nelson from Breakfast Club, etc., as the like shitty record exec guy. Fucking Kramer from Seinfeld, Michael Richards as the accountant at the radio station who's like John McClaning it through the fucking yeah. air ducts the whole time. Yeah. Ends up with an MP5 hanging out of the air ducts somehow. <laughs> yeah. And then disappears from the film after that scene. Like you yep. never hear from him again. You don't know what happened nope. to him. He's still stuck up there. Uh, Joe Montaigne from mm-hmm. tons of things, including uh, the voice of Fat Tony on The Simpsons as uh, <laughs> the radio DJ. Uh-huh. And then uh, David Arquette as like yep. random seeming stoner guy who works at the radio station. And yep. then on top of everything else, Harold Ramis makes an appearance. That's two yeah. Ghostbusters in this movie. Yeah. Like, you know, a couple lines, just the one scene. It's actually a really good scene. You know, I love the, the how they question him to yeah. figure out if he's a cop or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, man, I had forgotten. It had been a while since I'd seen this, but, man, what a what a cast. Even though a lot of those are just, like, cameos or whatever, but. Yeah, which is wild. Um one thing always stand, stood out to me with this movie is like, I feel like this is the only thing I've ever seen Kramer in besides knowing he's on Seinfeld. <laughs> he did not have a rich film career. Like, okay. he is one of those weird cases where, like, he is so perfect as Kramer on Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a huge part of why that show is so great and, like, a memorable, hilarious character. And then it's just like he did not translate to other stuff. You know, he has this supporting role. The only other movie off the top of my head that I can think of that he's in, I know I saw it years and years and years ago back when it came out. Haven't seen it since or hardly thought of it, but there's like a movie, like a lawyer comedy called Trial and Error. And it's like him and another guy are the two leads and they play lawyers, I think. Um, But that's like the only starring role in a film I can think of he's had. I'm sure he's popped up in other things here and there, you know, but. I, well, wasn't he, was he in, uh, is he in UHF? Am I? Oh, geez. I haven't seen that in like, so long. Tiny part in remember. UHF is like a weird oddball guy. I've only seen that the one time as well. But um, yeah. And then, you know, he, I think he was on a couple of other TV shows that never went anywhere, but yeah, he's just like yeah. huge icon as Kramer and then like nothing else. Randomly in airheads. Yeah. I do like him in this, though. Like, he's playing a very Kramer kind of character in how, like, jittery and clumsy he is. But mm-hmm. uh, I think he, he works well as, like, the well, weird nebbish accountant guy who's hiding in the air ducts. And you, I don't believe you mentioned the SWAT team guy. That the main guy SWAT actor. guy, yeah. He's, like, in a ton of stuff. He's the the gym teacher in the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 who gets, like, stripped down and attacked by floating uh, sports equipment in the locker room. <laughs> I don't recall that one. I don't know if I've seen that movie, actually. We watched most of it uh, at Brian's house one time when all of us the were together. The second one? Yeah. Mm, For, yeah uh, we, we didn't recall. finish it, but we watched a whole lot of it and then didn't oh. finish it, like maybe uh, a horror con weekend when we were all together. All right. So I know you've seen that scene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So long story short. Hell of a cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, it was quite stacked. But Would you believe written by the guy who wrote Triple X? You're goddamn no. Not at all. <laughs> and he also wrote the Jerky Boys movie. Guy named Rich Wilkes. And those are like his big credits. Are those in this? Hi, Rich. 
And directed by the guy who gave us uh, Heathers and Hudson Hawk. Oh. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know, like, I dig the ensemble in this. I dig the mm-hmm. situation, you know, like, bumbling idiots, like, fall ass backwards into, uh, like, like, a, a hostage, hostage situation. Is... Yeah. It almost, in a manner of speaking, feels a little bit like a, a comedy version of Die Hard, since, like I mentioned, you have the guy, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. like, going around in the air ducts, but, like, you're on the side of the, uh, the hostage takers, like, yeah. the terrorists. And then there's, like, the whole thing... Uh... The angle of the channel is changing. Yeah, so know, Joe Montaigne is like kind of on their side. Yeah, like I like that. It adds to it as well. Like, yeah, you know, there's one of the girl that works there ends up sleeping with Adam Sandler. <laughs> like, yeah, like they they are like lovable criminals. Yeah, David Arquette like escapes when he has the opportunity, but then right. he wants back in because it was like cool to hang out with the guys. Yeah, like, like they in the hostage it, situation, they play it like just just perfectly enough where like all that works in the movie yeah and then i also love the the angle that like chris farley is this kind of rookie straight man and like they send him out on a mission where he's like Mm -hmm. completely out of his element because he's like you know fat buttoned up cop and he's got to go to like rock nightclubs and try and find this Mm -hmm. one girl and yeah yeah, that yeah, totally. he's he's great in this as well. Without it being think, a typical Chris Farley role, you know. Yeah, I and I like it because I think everyone's really like I said, uh, Stu Buscemi. I love it. I think Chris Brandon Fraser plays like his roles, just like the disgruntled rocker, really well. Mm-hmm. Adam Sandler plays a buffoon, but like not his other kind of buffoon roles. You know, that's different too. So. Yeah. Like I said, I was I was a pretty big fan of Adam Sandler compared to a lot of the other, you know, guys. Oh, I guess, you know, Chris Farley's that same era, and I'm a fan of him. But like mm-hmm. I said, like, wasn't as big of a fan of Mike Myers until later on with Austin Powers. But, um, yeah, I've always loved Happy Gilmore, like Billy Madison, yeah. not as big of a fan, like some of his subsequent movies a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think I always liked him in this, and it's like he gets to play – like a really kind of goofy oddball character in this without being the focus, which is nice. Like, I think he's really mm-hmm. good in that supporting role in this. And I yeah, don't think totally. he really plays supporting roles ever aside from no. this. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So yeah, this is just, and this feels like I was saying, like with the chase, this just feels like a very much like this. What is it? 94. <laughs> it just feels like 1994. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I was totally like an MTV kid growing up from like this point, like around this time onward. So it just like feels like that time for sure. I probably would have been if I had cable, but mm. alas, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had to sit at home and watch the same hundred VHS tapes over and over again. <laughs> I mean, that works too. <laughs> yeah, I really dig the fact that uh, Joe Montana is like on their side at some point. Yeah. I think that that's a lot of fun. Just their whole like way they get into, you know, they quote unquote break into the the uh, radio station and they get right in with Joe. Just the whole thing. Like, yeah, just... they happen to have the guns filled that are water pistols that look real that were taken off the market because they look too real and yeah, they're filled with uh, hot sauce because Steve Buscemi wants to shoot people in the face mm-hmm. with it and it's I don't know it. It works really well it's, as like a like a smooth kind yeah. of setup, and it's like thing. a situational comedy. It's not going for like punchlines like the other ones. Yeah, yeah, it's not as absurdist as the other movies, which mm-hmm. is maybe 
I don't know, part of the reason I like this one more, just because as a concept, it like gives itself a little more credit than the other ones do. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, just uh, you can't deny that cast and yeah, it's just good. They're all like perfect in their roles. So I just still, I was like, been a while since I've seen this, even though I have seen it so many times. Um, and I was like very happy for it to be like have a good time watching it and still to be as good as I remember. Yeah. Which is also wild to say, which we should mention, uh, we had an ordeal <laughs> trying to watch this movie. Yeah, so looked it up to see where I could stream it, and it is streaming absolutely nowhere. Like, you can't even pay to rent it on, like, Amazon, right. which is usually my last bastion if I can't find it anywhere else. Um, So I was like, you know, I'd like to own a Blu-ray copy of this. I'll just hop on eBay or something and order a copy. Uh, the going price for the American, like, Region A release of uh, Airheads on Blu-ray is approximately $300. I mean, like, that is, like, who sued who to stop <laughs> this movie from being able to be released anywhere? Yeah, the, I, I I would really love to know the story behind why Airheads is so hard to get your hands on. Of all things, it is unavailable everywhere. Yeah, you can get... Um, it's a Canadian release with like, you know, French title and everything on the sleeve and, and like the, the insert and all for mm -hmm. like 30 bucks, which, you know, if I really had to, I could, I, I guess I could handle that or I could get Tony to print me up a, uh, a fake right. label with the, yeah. the right title and everything on it. I don't want to pay $30 for a 30 year old movie. <laughs> you know, like Airheads either. Like, I mean, to be completely honest, I would pay $30 to get my hands on a copy of Airheads uh, if I needed it for the show and it was in English. <laughs> I mean, if that was our only option, I would have hated to have left this out. Yeah, but luckily <laughs> yeah. from the dark days of my past, I had a burned copy of this mm -hmm. from like 20 years ago Yeah, that I watched and then put in the mail to you. <laughs> so that yeah. is how we watched Airheads. Oh, and it worked. <laughs> You know, USPS never fails. <laughs> Showed up when you said it would. Yeah. A little how the sausage is made on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But just wild to think of all movies. we've. I mean, we've been able to get our hands on some random ass shit. But yeah, airheads. once before I had to mail you a disc and that was uh, Robot Jocks, which was like hard to get at the time. Makes much more sense. That Robot Jocks is the one we're <laughs> mailing back and forth. Not Airheads. Yeah, then Airheads. I just love the feeling of like how much fun uh, at least two of the three characters are having when they realize like, oh, there's this huge crowd outside and everyone's rooting for them and they go out and they're like flipping off the cops and like mm -hmm, hamming it up mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah. This movie just has like a real sense of fun. There's a real like drive to the plot because it's like they're in this hostage situation that just keeps building and building. and. Right. You know, the, I had forgotten how it ended because it had been a while. But of course, in my mind, I was like, oh, uh, the tape is ruined. So they're going to have to play the song live. And it's like there's this whole crowd outside because of the hostage situation. It's going to be like, you know, standard ending. They play live in front of everybody and it's awesome. But they don't even do that. They like swerve and <laughs> mm -hmm. the uh, the record exec wants them to lip sync and they refuse to do it. And so they like yeah. stick it to the man right there at the end as well, mm -hmm. which I dug because I even though I'd seen it before, I didn't remember that. Didn't see it coming. Yeah, I, re I remember the exact ending with like them playing in prison, but I totally forgot. It was like it turned into them him trying to record a music video 
that yeah. they refused to do, which was great. Mm-hmm. Just added added to the whole the whole, their whole ideal from the whole movie. So yeah, and then yeah, they they were gonna go on tour in uh, six months or three months with good behavior at the very end. But how telling is it that uh, <laughs> so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, ten million dollar budget, forty point five million dollar box office. Okay, you and I. Not big fans. Uh, Wayne's World, $20 million budget, $183.1 million box office. You and I, eh, could do without it. Mm-hmm. Airheads, you and I, both big fans. Mm-hmm. Budget, $11.2 million. Box office, 5.8. No. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was just domestic. I couldn't find international numbers. I never would have guessed this was a complete flop. I complete this flop. Was... <laughs> It's got to be, oh, God, does that have something to do with why I can't get anywhere? I was would have been sure this was just like a popular 90s movie. I mean, I feel like it did have a reputation of kind of like you were talking about. It's one of those movies that just used to play on TV all the time. Like Wow, a complete flop. Like yeah. A bad flop. Like a classic example is Office Space, where that movie was an absolute flop, and then it just played on Comedy Central like once a day for 10 years, and now it's like everybody's favorite like comedy from the time, like cultural phenomenon, mm-hmm. eminently quotable. I feel like uh, the movie Joe's Apartment used to play on TV all the fucking time. And I feel like this was one of those, but, you know, times have changed and it you just can't see it for whatever reason. Yeah. So it must like the Blu-ray must have just not sold. That's why it went out of print, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was a standard, you know, bare bones release from whatever studio owns it. But um yeah, it's probably not a movie that they feel like is worth going back for another pressing of, would be my guess. Damn. Damn. But still, like, why is not why is it not available to stream anywhere? That's the thing that I'm more surprised yeah, by. Yeah, that like always that beat makes me think of like what what's the lawsuit? <laughs> you yeah. know, like who who's got the rights to what that won't allow this thing to be out there? Because just like, you know, it's nice when, you know, a lot of movies I own, but there's plenty of movies we watch for the show that I don't own. And so the very first thing we do is check Just Watch and see like, oh, well, this one's available on Netflix. Uh, This one's on Hulu. Uh, Now, the third one, you know, it's not free anywhere, but it's like $2.99 rental on Amazon. That's like the standard way that it goes. But this one, not. I mean, quite frankly, this show would not be what it is if not for having so many streaming options. Either that or I would just be mainlining you discs constantly. Right. But then it's like there could there could be so many factors with that that it's yeah. like the ease of watching things definitely for sure play, plays into what we do here. Absolutely. Yeah. Or I don't know, so, do you, uh, like how healthy do you think the um, can you still get discs in the mail from Netflix? Like, I want to say you can without having any like anecdotal evidence. I just feel like I've heard that there's. That is an option somehow. But even then, I I can remember years back, it was still a thing. And then Netflix was going to like spin it off into like a, a different separate, service yeah. with a different name. And there was like a lot of pushback. So they stopped. But I do remember that. I would think they, they're still, I mean, DVDs and Blu-ray. I mean, DVDs for crying out loud are still getting pressed. Yeah. Not even just Blu-rays. So I would think, you know, they're getting, they, you know, they must be some legacy accounts out there that they're still collecting money on that maybe don't even (laughs) send in for the DVDs, but yeah, might have to look into that in the future. If uh, things keep going this way, you were a three disc at a time guy. Fucking a, I was, (laughs) 
from the day I signed up, I was the <laughs> three disc guy. I was. And wherever the uh, like the distribution center was, I had it down to just about a science. Where the only thing that fucked with me was Sunday because there was no mail. But I had it down to every day I would send a movie in the mail and I would receive another one. Like I had it on a one movie a day cycle and it took like three days for them to get something and send it back. I just want to put that on a t-shirt with no context. The only thing that fucked with me was Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Three discs. Three discs. Full life. Mainlining. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I could remember. That's one of, the, one of the many things I just can't remember. But I want to say I was at least two, if not three. Yeah. Because I think even like when my mom like caught on to it being a thing, there was always like something in there for her as well. Yeah. Those were the salad days. Oh, man. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I can even still remember getting the streaming disc yes. that you had to put in the machine. For I remember stream. that as well. Which was just like an odd bit of tech as well. Yeah, I remember the first night that I had that thing, I was just uh, like scrolling around like, I, I, I should watch something because I'd never streamed anything like that before on my mm-hmm. TV. And I ended up, even though I owned it on uh, DVD or Blu-ray, whatever at the time, I watched uh, um, The Big Lebowski. <laughs> love it. I was just like, here's love something, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I love that you remember this. It's yeah. amazing. The Big Lebowski and Live at the... Uh, the Comedians of Comedy Live at the Purple Onion was the other thing that I watched that first just, night. Just, it was glorious. It was <laughs> glorious, Mills. <laughs> yep. But anyway, yeah. Airheads. Airheads. Great flick. I feel yeah. like we've covered it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to watch it yourself, if this uh, review made you interested, I hope you already own a copy. Yeah, or you can send Millsy a self-addressed stamped envelope <laughs> and a blank. Hey, you still have my copy. Send it to Dex. <laughs> I'll pass it on. Oh, no. What have we done? Spread the love. Uh, let's talk some posties. I feel like comedies don't always have the most inspired posters, but I do recall saying at the time that uh, the Planes, Trains, Automobiles poster was one of the best we'd ever seen. That's and it was true. just simple. That was quite good. Uh, so we've got Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, I feel like we say this a lot, but this was on a the back page of a lot of comic mm-hmm. books. I remember that. For sure. A lot going on here. A lot mm-hmm. of extra stuff in here that doesn't feel necessary. Well, the first thing that I question is why are they in outer space? Why are they in outer space is a giant one. Yeah, they travel through time. Yep. They don't go into outer space. Right. Why is Rufus coming out of the moon? Why are all the planets like oddly misaligned? There's at least three Earths here for some reason. <laughs> just, yeah, very, that is all very honest. It could have just, you could take everything out of this and just have like a funky sci-fi background with the the telephone booth and these two on it. That would make a lot and more sense. Like, it would just make so much more sense. Like I don't know if they just of, felt that they would confuse people if they had just like weird wavy lines behind them or something. I don't know. I don't know if this makes it more sense. I mean, the roof is coming out of the moon. <laughs> well, it's so very strange. This is very strange. Yeah, like them yeah. doing that thing where they like put one hand on their chest and the other hand out, sitting on top of the phone booth filled with historical figures. Like that's all good. Yeah. But yeah, why in outer space? I don't know. Uh, I like the logo design. 
Bill and Ted's very, Excellent Adventure. Very 89. Very 89. Yep. Uh, I like the tagline under the title, Time Flies When You're Having Fun. Right. And of course... Not a fan of the second tagline. <laughs> we've been on a run of just like second taglines and being awful. Yeah. History is about to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell. Like, eh, it is what it is, but it's almost just like... There is no history being rewritten either, but... Yeah. It's almost just like too... You have to think about it too hard <laughs> to make it a good tagline. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. I just, I can't, I never once thought about it before in my life until just now when we have to analyze it, but why are they in space? That's like my biggest problem. Why are they in space is just like the basis of like all the problems, but it's like, even then it's like, why did they have all these other planets? There's three earths here. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that's some play on like the, well, it's not that they're going to alternate realities. It's that they're, I don't know. I do not know. Odd. Yeah. Okay. Wayne's World. Question. Why yes. again are they in space? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's this doesn't make any sense. Like because yeah. well, you see how far away they are from the Earth, but they're still like in the Earth's atmosphere. That's weird. Why are they flying at all? I don't understand, even though they're obviously just standing. But they were la- are they launched from this couch? I mean the couch is right there with them, like so, like, why have they been launched? All I can say is that there is no reason that they should be, like, in, like, for this far above the Earth. There's no reason. Absolutely. I mean, just because the name, war, you know, the word world is in the name, you have to show the world. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't it's know. so unnecessary. It's terrible. Yeah. Or at least it's only got one tagline. And I but. feel like it's, you know, it's not the most amazing tagline in the world, but it's applicable to the movie. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl. Hurling is like yeah, one of the taglines, but it just makes no sense. It just is so unnecessary. Like, what would be wrong with this exact same angle, except they're standing in Wayne's basement? Hundred like, percent. This exact same picture of them, except instead of floating in the sky for no reason, they're in the set of the show within the movie that you're right. used to. Yeah, and show a TV camera. Or something in the corner so you know it's a TV show or something. Yeah. That's extremely stupid. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I, again, two posters in a row, I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> two posters in a row, why are they in space? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of disappointing uh-huh. that Airheads It's an uh, absolute drag. It's an absolute drag that's not. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Airheads, it's just our three guys. Uh, they're standing in front of, uh, like, the... A the rollers, lineup. the the measurement thing at the police lineup to show how tall you are. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Uzi gets lost in the shadow on uh, yeah. Brendan Fraser's pants leg, so you almost don't even realize it's there, which is kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Then it's just like, it's just like, a, I don't know if it's a poor Photoshop and just, I can't tell if it's just weird. There's something weird going on with the feet. I think they have reflections on the feet. But then they get cut off, oh, yeah. so like everyone looks like they have humongous feet for some reason. Well, I even think it's just weird. Like, look how much of Adam Sandler's body is in shadow. Yeah, I mean, see, see me a little bit, but yeah, totally tons of shadow, very unnecessary. I don't know if that. It definitely just, yeah. reads as like the three of them weren't in the same room together when they shot Absolutely. these pictures, so they just like had to do something to make the lighting kind of match or something. I don't know. Something or just have the 
so the tides, the credits could stand out. I don't know. But then, yeah, they got the reflection thing. I mean, I guess, like, if I was just didn't know what this was and I saw it, the police lineup thing would make me think there's something to do with crime, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the tagline, get ready to laugh, rock, and roll. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't really mean much. Yeah. It's not like a clever use of, like, rock and roll as a phrase or anything. Totally. It's just like two separate thoughts crammed together. Get ready to laugh and rock and roll. Yeah. I do really like the logo. Yeah. I like the, the airheads. Looks, it looks like a soft enamel pin, and it's... <laughs> yeah. I do dig that. That's probably about... That's really it, because I think the images are bad, the ideas. Could maybe have been better. Maybe if you really just had the three of them in front of an actual police lineup thing, but like with their gear or something, mm-hmm. I mean, you could have sold this idea so much better than just this poor early Photoshop hack job. Yeah, definitely just feels like they got a bunch of, you know, stock photos of these guys yeah. and then decided what to do with them after the fact. Right. Like, give me all the promotional photography and we'll figure something out. Yeah. Yeah, roughage. Millsy baby, break it down for the people. Uh, these are all not great. <laughs> That's true. I think uh I think it's gonna be twos across the board from me. Oh. I think you're right on the money. Yeah, I I mean none of them are the worst thing I've ever seen, but none of them are all that inspiring. If I had to pick one that I liked more than the others Bill and Ted, I think the yeah the primary center image and the logo and the one tagline is pretty good, but it's just yeah, it's what, in especially space. what it's up against. You have to pick a one to, one to keep, but it's that one. Yeah. All right. Bye, Barburn. Bye, Barburn. I feel like I've heavily insinuated already throughout the show where I stand. So I'm just gonna say I'm buying Airheads. I wish I could buy Airheads. <laughs> Same. For less than $300. Uh, Buying Airheads, borrowing Wayne's World, and burning Bill and Ted. Uh, I don't think Bill and Ted is actually worth the the funeral pyre, but um, easily my (laughs) least favorite of the three. Uh, And Wayne's World doesn't beat it by too much. Like, Airheads is, no pun intended, head and shoulders above the other two for me. Uh Uh, easy money, same here. Bye, bar burn. I put probably pretty clear by the this episode, <laughs> yeah. but we didn't play the cards super close to our vests this game. No, this, uh, no. this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Airheads is just so so much better than the other two, and yeah, I don't think Bill and Ted is for someone to come to us to say Bill and Ted, you know, Excellent Adventures, one of my favorite movies. I'd be like, oh, awesome. You know, <laughs> I mean. I don't, it doesn't work for me, but I guess, you know, if it came to you at the right time in life, for sure. I've known someone who is an enormous Bill and Ted fan, mm. like collected toys of them and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. but he's also very much into like, you know, rock and metal music and like plays yep. guitar yep. and, Never really totally. got his feelings on uh, the other two, Airheads or Wayne's World, but I know he loved uh, Bill and Ted. There's far, far worse movies we've watched that I would give people absolute hell for liking. So. Yeah. 
but not Bill and Ted. But I'm right there with you, Millsy baby. Five yeah. hour burn. Not for me, but it's fine if it's for you. Sure. Like like we always do about this time. Yeah, time to generate a random number. Millsy, how many uh, episodes do we have to pick from? Two hundred and thirty-five themes. Two hundred and thirty-five. Millsy. Yep. Oh. One hundred and ninety. One ninety. Oh wow. All right. What do we got? We have uh <laughs> it's gonna be pretty probably pretty obvious <laughs> when you hear this one. Uh <laughs> Shorties two, the shortening. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've yes. come up with a couple of these over the course mm-hmm. of the show where like we do an episode and we're like, oh, there's uh, other movies that are also like similar to this. We could do a sequel episode in a manner of speaking. And this is the first time one has come up. Although I guess we had the two. Um, we had the uh, the J horror movies and the American remakes. Not exactly the same concept because we came up with those two at the same time. But right. And we have a bit of a. A naming convention. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, uh, I've got seen one of these, so. Uh, one of them I have not seen. One of them I've seen a couple times and like. And one of them I have seen and was not a huge fan of, so I'm not, like, dying to see again. But, hey, mm-hmm. you know, maybe my opinion will have changed. That's how we do it here. Just like it didn't about uh, Wayne's World and Bill and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. We'll party on. Shorties to the shortening. I'm ready. <laughs> you better be. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, until next episode, my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Be excellent to each other. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.